The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien Chapter 12 Flight into the Ford Part 1 When Frodo came to himself, he was still clutching the ring desperately. He was lying by the fire, which was now piled high and burning brightly. His three companions were bending over him. "'What has happened? Where is the Pale King?' he asked wildly. They were too overjoyed to hear him speak to answer for a while, nor did they understand his question. At length he gathered from sand that they had seen nothing but the vague shadowy shapes coming towards them. Suddenly, to his horror, Sam found that his master had vanished, and at that moment a black shadow rushed past him, and he fell. He heard Frodo's voice, but it seemed to come from a great distance, and from under the earth, crying out strange words. They saw nothing more until they stumbled over the body of Frodo, lying as if dead, face downwards on the grass, with his sword beneath him. Strider ordered them to pick him up and lay him near the fire, and then he disappeared. That was now a good while ago. Sam plainly was beginning to have doubts again about Strider, but while they were talking he returned, peering suddenly out of the shadows. They started, and Sam drew his sword and stood over Frodo, but Strider knelt down swiftly at his side. "'I am not a black rider, Sam,' he said gently, "'nor in league with them. I have been trying to discover something of their movements, but I have found nothing. I cannot think why they have gone and do not attack again.' But there is no feeling of their presence anywhere at hand. When he heard what Frodo had to tell, he became full of concern, and he shook his head and sighed. Then he ordered Pippin and Mary to heat as much water as they could in their small kettles, and to bathe the wound with it. Keep the fire going well, and keep Frodo warm, he said. Then he got up and walked away, and called Sam to him. I think I understand things better now, he said in a low voice. There seem only to have been five of the enemy. Why they are not all here, I don't know. But I don't think they expected to be resisted. They have drawn off for the time being, but not far, I fear. They will come again another night if we cannot escape. They are now waiting because they think that their purpose is almost accomplished and that the ring cannot fly much further. I fear, Sam, that they believe your master has a deadly wound that will subdue him to their will. We shall see. Sam choked with tears. Don't despair, said Strider. You must trust me now. Your Frodo is made of sterner stuff than I had guessed, though Gandalf hinted that it might prove so. He is not slain, and I think he will resist the evil power of the wound longer than his enemies expect. I will do all I can to help and heal him. Guard him well while I am away. He hurried off and disappeared again into the darkness. Frodo dozed, though the pain of his wound was slowly growing, and a deadly chill was spreading from his shoulder to his arm and side. His friends watched over him, warming him, and bathing his wound. The night passed, slowly and wearily. Dawn was growing in the sky, and the dell was filling with grey light, when Strider at last returned. Look, he cried, 
and stooping he lifted from the ground a black cloak that had lain there, hidden by the darkness. A foot above the lower hem there was a slash. This was the stroke of Frodo's sword, he said. The only hurt that it did to his enemy, I fear, for it is unharmed. But all blades perish that pierced the dreadful king. More deadly to him was the name of Elbereth. And more deadly to Frodo was this. He stooped again and lifted out the long, thin knife. There was a cold gleam in it. As Strider raised it, they saw that near the end its edge was notched and the point was broken off. But even as he held it up in the growing light, they gazed in astonishment, for the blade seemed to melt and vanished like a smoke in the air, leaving only the hilt in Strider's hand. Alas, he cried, it was this accursed knife that gave the wound. Few now have the skill in the healing to match such evil weapons, but I will do what I can. He sat down on the ground and taking the dagger hilt, laid it on his knees, and he sang over it in a slow song in a strange tongue. Then, setting it aside, he turned to Frodo, and in a soft tone spoke words the others could not catch. From the pouch at his belt he drew out the long leaves of a plant. These leaves, he said, I have walked far to find, for this plant does not grow in the bare hills, but in the thickets away south of the road I found it, in the dark by the scent of its leaves. He crushed a leaf in his fingers, and it gave out a sweet and pungent fragrance. It is fortunate that I could find it, for it is a healing plant that the men of the West brought to Middle-earth. Athelis, they named it, and it grows now sparsely, and only near places where they dwelt or camped of old, and it is not known in the North, except to some of those who wander in the wild. It has great virtues, but over such a wound as this its healing powers may be small. He threw the leaves into boiling water and bathed Frodo's shoulder. The fragrance of the steam was refreshing, and those that were unhurt felt their minds calmed and cleared. The herb had also some power over the wound, for Frodo felt the pain and also the sense of frozen cold lessen in his side. But the life did not return to his arm, and he could not raise or use his hand. He bitterly regretted his foolishness, and reproached himself for weakness of will, for he now perceived that in putting on the ring he obeyed not only his own desire, but the commanding wish of his enemies. He wondered if he would remain maimed for life, and how they would now manage to continue their journey. He felt too weak to stand. The others were discussing this very question. They quickly decided to leave Weathertop as soon as possible. I think now, said Strider, that the enemy has been watching this place for some days. If Gandalf ever came here, then he must have been forced to ride away, and he will not return. In any case, we are in great peril here after dark, since the attack of last night, and we can hardly meet great danger wherever we go. As soon as the daylight was full, they had some hurried food and packed. It was impossible for Frodo to walk, so they divided the greater part of their baggage among the four of them and put Frodo on the pony. In the last few days, the poor beast had improved wonderfully. It already seemed fatter and stronger and had begun to show an affection for its new masters, 
especially for Sam. Bill Fernie's treatment must have been very hard for the journey in the wild to seem so much better than its former life. They started off in a southerly direction. This would mean crossing the road, but it was the quickest way to more wooded country, and they needed fuel, for Strider said that Frodo must be kept warm, especially at night, while fire would be some protection for them all. It was also his plan to shorten their journey by cutting across another great loop of the road. East, beyond Weathertop, it changed its course and took a wide bend northwards. They made their way slowly and cautiously round the southwestern slopes of the hill and came in a little while to the edge of the road. There was no sign of the riders, but even as they were hurrying across, they heard far away two cries, a cold voice calling and a cold voice answering. Trembling, they sprang forward and made for the thickets that lay ahead. The land before them sloped away southwards, but it was wild and pathless. Bushes and stunted trees grew in dense patches with wide barren spaces in between. The grass was scanty, coarse, and gray, and the leaves in the thickets were faded and falling. It was a cheerless land, and their journey was slow and gloomy. They spoke little as they trudged along. Frodo's heart was grieved as he watched them walking beside him with their heads down and their backs bowed under their burdens. Even Strider seemed tired and heavy-hearted. Before the first day's march was over, Frodo's pain began to grow again, but he did not speak of it for a long time. Four days passed, without the ground or the same changing much, except that behind them Weathertop slowly sank, and before them the distant mountains loomed a little nearer. Yet since that far cry they had seen and heard no sign that the enemy had marked their flight or followed them. They dreaded the dark hours and kept watch in pairs by night, expecting at any time to see black shapes stalking in the gray night, dimly lit by the cloud-veiled moon. But they saw nothing and heard no sound but the sigh of withered leaves and grass. Not once did they feel the sense of present evil that had assailed them before the attack in the dell. It seemed too much to hope that the riders had already lost their trail again. Perhaps they were waiting to make some ambush in a narrow place. At the end of the fifth day, the ground began once more to rise slowly out of the wide, shallow valley into which they had descended. Strider now turned their course again northeastwards, and on the sixth day they reached the top of a long, slow-climbing slope and saw far ahead a huddle of wooded hills. Away below them they could see the road sweeping round the feet of the hills, and to their right a grey river gleamed pale in the thin sunshine. In the distance they glimpsed yet another river in a stormy valley half veiled in mist. I am afraid we must go back to the road here for a while, said Strider. We have now come to the river Hallwell, that the elves call Methethel. It flows down out of the Etten Moors, the Trollfells north of Rivendell, and joins the Loudwater away in the south. Some call it the Grey Flood after that. It is a great water before it finds the sea. There is no way over it below its sources in the Etten Moors, except by the last bridge on which the road crosses. What is that 
other river we can see far away there? asked Mary. That is Loudwater, the Bjornan of Rivendell, answered Strider. The road runs along the edge of the hills for many miles from the bridge to the ford of Brunan, but I have not yet thought how we shall cross that water. One river at a time. We shall be fortunate indeed if we do not find the last bridge held against us. Next day, early in the morning, they came down again to the border of the road. Sam and Strider went forward, but they found no sign of any travelers or riders. Here, under the shadow of the hills, there had been some rain. Strider judged that it had fallen two days before and had washed away all footprints. No horsemen had passed since then, as far as he could see. They hurried along with all the speed they could make, and after a mile or two, they saw the last bridge ahead at the bottom of a short, steep slope. They dreaded to see black figures waiting there, but they saw none. Strider made them take cover in a thicket at the side of the road while he went forward to explore. Before long, he came hurrying back. I can see no sign of the enemy, he said, and I wonder very much what that means. But I have found something very strange. He held out his hand and showed a single pale green leaf. I found it in the mud in the middle of the bridge, he said. It is a brill, an elf stone. Whether it was set there or let fall by chance, I cannot say, but it brings hope to me. I will take it as a sign that we may pass the bridge, but beyond that I dare not keep to the road without some clearer token. At once they went on again. They crossed the bridge in safety, hearing no sound but the water swirling against its three great arches. A mile further on they came to a narrow ravine that led away northwards through the steep lands on the left of the road. Here Strider turned aside and soon they were lost in a somber country of dark trees winding among the feet of sullen hills. The hobbits were glad to leave the cheerless lands and the perilous road behind them, but this new country seemed threatening and unfriendly. As they went forward, the hills about them steadily rose. Here and there, upon heights and ridges, they caught glimpses of ancient walls of stone and the ruins of towers. They had an ominous look. Frodo, who was not walking, had time to gaze ahead and to think. He recalled Bilbo's account of his journey and the threatening towers on the hills north of the road in the country near the Trolls' Wood where his first serious adventure had happened. Frodo guessed that they were now in the same region and wondered if by chance they would pass near the spot. Who lives in this land? he asked. And who built these towers? Is this troll country? No, said Strider. Trolls do not build. No one lives in this land. Men once dwelled here ages ago, but none remain now. They became an evil people, as legends tell, for they fell under the shadow of Angmar. But all were destroyed in the war that brought the North Kingdom to its end. But that is now so long ago that the hills have forgotten them, though a shadow still lies on the land. Where did you learn such tales if all the land is empty and forgetful? asked Peregrine. 
The birds and the beasts do tell tales of that sort. The heirs of Elendil do not forget all things past, said Strider, and many more things than I can tell remembered in Rivendell. Have you often been to Rivendell? asked Frodo. I have, said Strider. I dwelt there once, and still I return when I may. There my heart is, but it is not my fate to sit in peace, even in the fair house of Elrond. The hills now began to shut them in. The road behind held on its way to the river Burnin, but both were now hidden from view. The travelers came into a long valley, narrow, deeply cloven, dark, and silent. Trees with old and twisted roots hung over cliffs and piled up behind into the mounting slopes of pine wood. The hobbits grew very weary. They advanced slowly, for they had to pick their way through a pathless country, encumbered by fallen trees and tumbled rocks. As long as they could, they avoided climbing for Frodo's sake, and because it was in fact difficult to find any way up out of the narrow dales. They had been two days in this country when the weather turned wet. The wind began to blow steadily out of the west and pour the water of the distant seas on the dark heads of the hills in fine, drenching rain. By nightfall, they were all soaked, and their camp was cheerless, for they could not get any fire to burn. The next day, the hills rose still higher and steeper before them, and they were forced to turn away northwards out of their course. Strider seemed to be getting anxious. They were nearly ten days out from Weathertop, and their stock of provisions was beginning to run low. It went on raining. That night they camped on a stony shelf with rock wall behind them, in which there was a shallow cave, a mere scoop in the cliff. Frodo was restless. The cold and wet had made his wound more painful than ever, and the ache and sense of deadly chill took away all sleep. He lay, tossing and turning and listening, fearfully to the stealthy night noises. Wind and chinks of rock, water dripping, a crack, the sudden rattling fall of a loosened stone. He felt that black shapes were advancing to smother him, but when he sat up, he saw nothing but the back of Strider, sitting hunched up, smoking his pipe, and watching. He lay down again and passed into an uneasy dream in which he walked on the grass in his garden in the Shire. But it seemed faint and dim, less clear than the tall black shadows that stood looking over the hedge. In the morning, he woke to find that the rain had stopped. The clouds were still thick, but they were breaking, and pale strips of blue appeared between them. The wind was shifting again. They did not start early. Immediately after their cold and comfortless breakfast, Strider went off alone, telling the others to remain under the shelter of the cliff until he came back. He was going to climb up, if he could, and get a look at the lie of the land. When he returned, he was not reassuring. We have come too far to the north, he said, and we must find some way to turn back southwards again. If we keep on as we are going, we shall get up into the Ittendales, far north of Rivendale. That is troll country, and little known to me. We could perhaps find our way through and come round to Rivendale from the north, but it would take too long, for I do not know the way, and our food 
would not last. So somehow or other we must find the fold of Björnen. The rest of that day they spent scrambling over rocky grounds. They found a passage between two hills that led them into a valley running southeast, the direction that they wished to take. But towards the end of the day, they found their road again barred by a ridge of high land. Its dark edge against the sky was broken into many bare points like teeth of a blunted saw. They had a choice between going back or climbing over it. They decided to attempt the climb, but it proved very difficult. Before long, Frodo was obliged to dismount and struggle along on foot. Even so, they often despaired of getting their pony up, or indeed of finding a path for themselves, burdened as they were. The light was nearly gone, and they were all exhausted, when at last they reached the top. They had climbed on to a narrow saddle between two higher points, and the land fell steeply away again, only a short distance ahead. Frodo threw himself down and lay on the ground shivering. His left arm was lifeless, and his side and shoulder felt as if icy claws were laid upon them. The trees and rocks about him seemed shadowy and dim. We cannot go any further, said Mary to Strider. I am afraid this has been too much for Frodo. I am dreadfully anxious about him. What are we to do? Do you think they will be able to cure him in Rivendale, even if we ever get there? We shall see, answered Strider. There is nothing more that I can do in the wilderness, but it is chiefly because of his wound that I am so anxious to press on. But I agree that we can go no further tonight. What is the matter with my master? asked Sam in a low voice, looking appealingly at Strider. His wound was small, and it is already closed. There is nothing to be seen but a cold white mark on his shoulder. Frodo has been touched by the weapons of the enemy, said Strider, and there is some poison or evil at work that is beyond my skill to drive out. But do not give up hope, Sam. Thank you.